This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Green Chef. Start the new year right by eating healthy and saving money. Green Chef is an organic meal kit delivery service that brings fresh ingredients and easy recipes right to your doorstep. Go to greenchef.com fool to get $50 off today. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and it is January 11th, 2017. I have healthcare contributor Todd Campbell joining me via Skype. Todd, is your new year off to a good start so far? So far, so good. And I don't know if you're having the same weather uh, down there as we are having in New Hampshire, but it is like spring outside. It's very odd for January. It's not bad. I, I wouldn't call it spring quite, but hey, that's, that's some optimism. <laughs> hey, it's not too far away too, right? It's, it's January. It's close enough to March, which is close enough to spring. Yeah, mud season will be upon us short soon enough. <laughs> Perfect. Can't wait. So... As we were discussing right before we started taping, there is some breaking news going on in the healthcare industry, which makes me kind of sad that this podcast isn't live because then we could break the news. But so, right as I was walking into the studio today, I got an email saying, Donald Trump promises to slash drug prices by billions, pledging aggressive federal bidding process. And basically, what this is saying is that in his press conference that is going on right now-ish as we film, which, by the way, is at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Trump says that he's going to use the federal government's power to overcome the lobbying that goes on with pharmaceutical companies and try to cut drug prices. What do you think? Breaking news. I suppose it's breaking news that he's saying it right now, right? Again, um, this is kind of his, uh, this is like a, 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 what do you call it, lather, rinse, repeat kind of scenario. Uh, we, we know without a doubt that a major focus uh, in Washington is on drug prices. And, it, you know, we've heard it time and time again. If, if these companies don't self-regulate, they run the risk of Washington regulating prices for them. And, you know, we've talked about it show after show after show, Um, you know, CEOs run the risk of running of either being tone deaf or downright oblivious if they continue to to embrace uh, double digit price increases uh, in an environment where the president elect and soon to be president has said quite clearly uh, that he wants prices to go lower, not higher. We have addressed this a good amount on this show. And honestly, it's gotten a lot of coverage in the general media, not even just the financial media. So I don't know if this is quite a breaking news topic, but I guess the story itself is. And the IBB, which is the biotechnology index, is down 3.45% as I speak this. I'm sure it'll bounce around some more today, but I bet it'll end the day down. Yeah, who knows, right? I mean, this is ex- the topic that we came into today uh, to discuss before the breaking news um, actually dovetails beautifully with uh, the fact that we're seeing a, a relatively sharp sell off within biotechnology stocks. Right. Thank you for the segue. So, the topic of today's show is not breaking news. That would be kind of incredible if it were, because we would have had zero time to prep for this. But our topic, as you listeners will know if you've been listening to us all week long on Industry Focus, it's Resolutions Week. So, we decided that we would talk about some of our financial New Year's resolutions. And we alluded to that last week, too. So, I'm sure nobody is shocked to hear that that's what we're talking about today. But I know you guys have been dying to hear what our financial resolutions are. And because you segued so nicely into it, Todd, I'm going to start with my own New Year's resolution, 
which is to create a watch list. And the reason that that was a good segue from what uh, we were just talking about with the breaking news and the IBB bouncing all over the place is because creating a watch list, which is basically just a list of stocks that you're watching. I feel like my uh, elementary school teachers would not be happy with me for defining a word using the words I'm defining. But it is a Excel document or some sort of organized written form of the stocks that you're looking at, that you find interesting, and some information that you think is relevant to whether or not you would want to buy them. The purpose of it is so that you're well prepared when a buying opportunity presents itself. Right. Like, for example, the the, the IBB falling 4%. Right. I'm sure there are individual companies within the IBB that are getting slammed much harder than that. I mean, usually when the IBB falls, you get some smaller clinical stage companies that really take a dive, and some of the bigger, more established ones won't be down quite as much. Yeah. I mean, as, as everyone who tunes in week after week after week, thank you very much uh, to our show, knows we're not short term investors, right? We like to embrace a longer term outlook. So the goal is to find what we think are great companies and then watch them for an opportunity to buy them at a price that we feel comfortable uh, buying them at. Exactly. So for me personally, the purpose of my watch list is to force myself to be a little bit more patient. Typically how I do my investing, and this is a, a guilty confession right here, but I get interested in a company. I do the research. I'm like, okay, they're either awesome or they're not. If they're awesome, I'm in. I'm buying. And I think I could do a lot better if I took that information, I wrote it down, and I sat on it, and I watched the stock for a little bit to see what changes over a short period of time, make sure that the the buy thesis is really sound, and maybe watch to see if its price goes down a little bit, and then I can enter at a more attractive price point. Yeah, many, many savvy investors embrace similar um, similar approaches. One that jumps to mind is George Soros, who people probably recognize as being probably one of the most successful investors over the last 50 years. And you know, one of his approaches is to say, okay, I, I've got an idea. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of it, and I'm going to see how it does. And if I'm proven right, then I'm going to I'm going to double down on it. And if I'm proven wrong, then I'm going to move on. And um, that's the same kind of idea. You do your your due diligence. You do your homework, and then you hold yourself. Uh, to a high standard of being of of tracking the stock, seeing whether or not the catalysts that you expect to happen start to happen, and if they do, uh, taking action and buying. But in any in creating any watch list, Christine, and I think you'll probably agree with this. I mean, it's it's kind of a the first the first step, if you will, would be know thyself, right? I mean, you need to know what kind of investor you are so that <clears throat> you can separate out the stocks into the appropriate baskets, right? Are you a growth investor? Are you a value investor? Are you an income investor? Are you an investor that likes logos that have frogs on them? <laughs> you, know, you need to be able to <clears throat> know your investing style and then create and craft watch lists for each one of those pieces of your style so that you don't accidentally say, um, you know, over end up overweighting value stocks if you're a growth investor, or overweight growth stocks if you're a value investor. Exactly, and I think it's important to have as a column in your spreadsheet or a box in your notepad, wherever you're keeping this list, the category of investment, and say, hey, this is an income play. And so that way, when you have an opening in your portfolio for an income stock, right there, bam, you filter on it and you say, give me my best income choices. And you can scan through your watch list and say, oh, okay, this one is rising to the top of the list. It's at the most attractive price point. Buy thesis is still strong. And you're in. 
Correct. Exactly. And and it, you don't have to be all of one or all of another. But like you're alluding towards asset allocation, figuring out well, how, what of my part of portion of my portfolio do I want to be income or growth or value? And yes, absolutely, having a spreadsheet that allows you to quickly scan through and sort your top picks gives you way bigger advantage over the everyday investor who maybe when the IBB is falling four percent isn't prepared to either select a Gilead Sciences if maybe they're a value investor or say like a Kite Pharma if maybe they're a more speculative uh, growth investor on, on, a, on a big drop like that. Yep, I totally agree. And I thought it would be really helpful to go through an example of how exactly you would get a stock onto your watch list. And for me, I'm actually not really looking to put healthcare stocks on my watch list just because I don't need more healthcare allocation right now. I'm, I'm heavyweight, if anything, in healthcare. And if you listen to the resolution show from last year, I was saying the same thing. I'll have you know, I made a little bit of progress, which actually, um, is, I guess now is a good time to pitch. We all wrote up articles, uh, the, the hosts of Industry Focus, about our 2017 resolutions. Many of them touch on our progress from our 2016 resolutions. I know mine sure did. If you guys, listeners, are interested in reading the written version of all of our resolutions, you can find them at resolutions.fool.com. So, anywho, uh, for me personally, I need to find some large dividend paying companies that are stable, they are profitable, and they are not healthcare. But because we're on the healthcare show, we're going to use Pfizer as an example. How what, what you would go through if you were considering Pfizer and how it would end up looking on your watch list. So, Todd, what would be your first step in looking at this company? Well, I think when you're trying to narrow down a list of thousands of stocks, I mean, that's that the reality is there are thousands of stocks that are publicly traded that theoretically we could be watching. And we, we know that we can't track all of those <laughs> or even a fraction of them. Uh, well, so you know you need to you need to be very careful about what you add to your watch list. And, and personally, I would recommend somewhere between ten and twenty names tops, because anything more than that, it's probably going to get too cumbersome. So so then the question becomes, well, well, Todd and Christine, how do I narrow that list down? How do I get you know thousands of stocks through the funnel and have it trickle out ten or fifteen ideas? And I think that there's a few basic questions that investors can ask themselves about each company. Um, to help them with that process. And the first is, you know, is the company a leader within its industry? Or, you know, looking at it another way, could it become a leader? Or is it just an also-ran, all right? I mean, what we've found time and time again is that truly game-changing, disruptive, and profitable companies uh, are those that reinvent or reshape their industry. It doesn't matter if we're talking about healthcare or we're talking about industrials, that's the case. Yes. So, uh, the, Pfizer, is Pfizer a leader in its industry? I, I think it absolutely is. It's one of the largest biopharma companies in the world. It does uh, about $13 billion in sales every quarter. So, I think it's safe to say that it, it is a Goliath and it is one of the leaders in you know biotech and pharmaceuticals. I, I think also a caveat to include with that question, is this company maintaining its leadership? Is Pfizer maintaining it? Right. And that's one of the things that, you know, in looking at the different questions, you say, okay, it's a leader and what are they doing to maintain it? And, you know, that to do that, you have to look at the product that they currently have in the market. And you have to look at, in case of, you know, a stock like Pfizer, the pipeline, what they have in the wings that could continue to, to keep them at the, the top of their game. And I think in both cases, Pfizer matches up pretty well. You know, you've got a company that has um, I want to say it's a, a, a dozen phase three and a dozen phase two key programs that could help drive sales higher 
over the coming years. That's great. You know, I mean, this is a company that's got um, top selling drugs in cancer, in uh, anticoagulation, in you know, it's in, in smoking cessation, in vaccines. I mean, and in potentially in biosimilars. And they're not only willing to you know make investments in their own R and D to you know create growth in the future. They've also been very actively acquiring innovation. So they're using, well, we'll get to cash later, but they're using a lot of the money that they have stockpiled to buy innovation that they haven't created internally. And that can produce uh, growth and keep them in a leadership position as well. Yeah. And if this were me putting Pfizer on my watch list, that is a key thing that I would want to watch going forward with this company. Are these acquisitions paying off? There were quite a few acquisitions made in the last year or so that were pretty big. There was the Medivation deal for $14 billion, and I believe that was at a 38 times multiple of 2017 earnings for Medivation. So that's not cheap at all. And this was an acquisition essentially just for one drug, Extandi. Peak sales of five billion. There's a couple of question marks around it. There's some litigation. You never quite know if you'll hit those peak sales numbers. It looks promising, but again, it's it's a question mark. You want to make sure that you are watching it. Um, there's also yeah. The- one of the advantages there, though, Christine, is that because Pfizer is so big and it has so much cash, it can buy this thing for cash. So then, whatever you're generating in in earnings is really just a return on investment. Yep, it's all accretive. Right. So they also they had the Anacor uh, acquisition that was 5.2 billion for an eczema drug. There was also Hospira for 17 billion a while back and that got them into biosimilars, which I think will be huge. And as a reminder, biosimilars are generic versions of biologic drugs, so a little bit more complicated than the generics that we're all very used to, but a new and very exciting market for this company and for healthcare as a whole. So definitely would want to make sure that these acquisitions are paying off. And I would listen closely to see from management what they have to say about potentially making more acquisitions and to see what sort of valuation they think is out there in the healthcare landscape. Yeah, and I would I would also say that it's important for investors as they're considering names to be on their watch list to to evaluate management and to say, okay, you know, they've got their leaders, they've got products, they've got a pipeline, they've got the ability to, to maintain their leadership position and be disruptive. Do they have the right executives in place to deliver on their, their goals in the future? Yeah, and I would say with Pfizer, Ian Reid, the CEO, he's a really solid leader. Yeah, he's been at the helm since, I think, 2010. So this is a person who has ushered Pfizer through what is arguably, you know, some of the toughest times for any drug maker. That's when, you know, you lose patent protection on a on a mega blockbuster, which is what happened to Pfizer back in 2011 when they lost patent protection on Lipitor, uh, a drug that at one point was racking up $13 billion in sales on its own. So this, this he has been there, he has done that, he's, he's piloted this company through very, very dangerous waters. And, you know, I feel like, I feel like overall, uh, Pfizer is a check mark in the column of good management. I would agree with that. So we have top-notch management. We have a company that's a leader in its industry. What else would you look at? Financial footing. I mean, I I really think that you you know you can't ignore. You can have uh, the ability to disrupt, and you can have great management. But if you don't have the financial flexibility or the financial depth to execute on your strategy, then it's going to be irrelevant. You know, you're going to end up with a bankrupt company with a great idea. 
So, you know, you've got to take a look at the financial situation for these companies. You got to consider the cash. You got to consider how quickly they're going through their cash. You got to understand how they're using their cash. You got to look at how much debt that they have. Um, you got to look if they're profitable and what their operating margin may be and what their earnings outlook is going to be. Um, those are all important considerations for any stock that I put on my watch list. And so how does Pfizer stack up here? I, you know, on balance, I think it, it does very well. You know, this is a company that's got a lot of cash on its balance sheet. I think it's got 13 billion on its balance sheet. It's also got another 80 billion in unrepatriated cash sitting overseas. Who knows if they get to tap into that under a Trump presidency or not that could help them fuel growth. Um, they do have debt, but you'll find that debt when you're talking about larger companies is a little bit easier to handle. If, I mean, if you're generating a lot of cash flow, like a company like Pfizer is and a lot of earnings, it's easy to finance that debt. So I'd be more concerned about their debt level if they were a small emerging or clinical stage company than I, w than I would be for a company as big as Pfizer. And of course, like I said, they, they generate tr a tremendous amount of revenue, a tremendous amount of cash flow and they're a very profitable company. So I feel like they've got the financial footing necessary. Yeah, and I would say on a related note, another important thing to look at is how cheap is this company or how expensive is this company? And there are a lot of useful metrics that you can, you can use there. The most basic of them would be your PE ratio, your price to earnings. And on this front, it looks like Pfizer is trading for fairly cheaply right now, particularly on a forward basis. They're trading for a forward PE of 12.9, which is pretty low when you compare it to some of its peers. They're in the the 16 to 19 range, more or less. So 12, 13, that that's that's pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah. And Christine, I mean, you're really driving at the the heart of what the next the next question would be on a watch on any watch list, right? Is to figure out okay, it's on my watch list, when do I buy, right? So mm -hmm. you look at it and you say, okay, well, what's the valuation like? And that could be one reason or you know, one uh, determinant for figuring out, okay, now is the time to act. And you know, I'm not gonna tell you that you should wait to buy Pfizer until it has a 10 forward PE ratio or if it's a screaming buy at 13. But I think that if you, if you use those specific, if you're specific in where you wanna buy, it's less likely that you know, you're going to let emotion overtake you uh, when the IBB falls 4% and say, no, I'm not going to buy because things are just too risky right now. Yep. And I, I think that the really important point to drive home here is that it's not about timing the market. It's about finding an attractive price point and then taking the emotion out of it so that you know, I have done my research. I like this company because they are very smart in their acquisitions. They pay a great dividend and they're getting into biosimilars or you know whatever your buy thesis is. You have that documented. And then when you notice that the price has come down a little bit, you can refer back to that and say, hey, are these things still part of the same buy thesis or has something changed? And if the price has dropped, just because something like Trump is saying that he wants to bring drug prices down, which is something we already knew and, and kind of a silly reason for the price of this company to drop when nothing material has changed, then all of a sudden you can confidently get in there and make make some purchases. Absolutely. So what do you think, Christine, after we've gone through all these nuts and bolts, do you think that Pfizer is going to rate and it's making your watch list in 2017? So... The way that I'm personally approaching Pfizer is that it is an income play. Um, I would be seriously intrigued if the dividend yield hit 4%, which it's not too far away from. Right now, it's yielding about 3.8%. So if the current price of the stock dropped 4%, you would hit that dividend yield of 4%. 
but I am not probably not <laughs> putting Pfizer on my watch list simply because I think that I can find companies that check off the same box of stable, dividend paying, cash generating in other sectors that could use more representation in my personal portfolio. Absolutely. And diversification is key, not only within industries like biotech or sectors like healthcare, but across the entire market. Yep. So, uh, before we move on, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Green Chef. And Todd, you mentioned last week that you're looking to shed a few pounds in the new year. And this is, after all, the healthcare show. So, let's talk for a minute about an easier way to eat healthy. With Green Chef, resolutions have never been easier or tastier. Green Chef's USDA certified organic meal kits make it easy to cook healthy and feel great about where your food comes from. You could be cooking dinners like a roasted rainbow carrot with chickpeas and artichoke gremolata, which sounds delicious. And they deliver everything you need to cook amazing dinners right to your door. Organic, non-GMO ingredients, pre-chopped and pre-measured so you can get dinner on the table in just 30 minutes. Step-by-step recipe instructions and photos. Choose the plan that's right for you with options like vegan, paleo, and gluten-free. No shopping, no planning, and no commitment. You can switch between menus, skip weeks, or cancel whenever you want. Thanks so much for sponsoring us, Green Chef. So, Todd, we spent a while talking about my resolution, and we're running a little bit behind because of our breaking news earlier. But I wanted to give you a shot to share your resolution, if if you had a financial one to share with the crowd. Well, after hearing about that delicious meal, I think my resolution might be to make lunch soon. (laughs) (laughs) I can't blame you. It's almost 1 p.m. if you haven't eaten. I know. I mean, that just sounded fantastic to me. (laughs) Um, No, on a serious note, you know, every year I try and make a a resolution. And I know that, you know, resolutions are hard and and a lot of people don't follow through with them, myself included. But I think it's a good way to take stock of your personal situation and kind of point yourself in the right direction. So, you know, don't beat yourself up too much if you don't end up executing on the resolution 100%. But for me, I use them as kind of a, a guidepost to say, okay, what what would I like to see myself accomplish this year? And personally, I have a little bit of credit card debt still kicking around. I'd love to see that gone uh, at, the, at the when we ring the bell into 2018. And I think that's something that a lot of listeners could probably also afford to do. I mean, not everybody in the United States has credit card debt, but those that do have on average $16,061 in credit card debt, which totals within the US 770 or sorry, $747 billion total in credit card debt. And this costs these people on average $1,292 in interest payments every year. Right. And what's scary, Christine, one of the reasons that this is my 2017 resolution is that, you know, we know that interest rates, the trend now is towards higher, not lower. So those interest costs can could become uh, a much bigger burden on myself and anyone else who's listening who happens to be having still having credit card debt out there. So it's something that is getting more and more important as we move away from, say, the zero percent interest rate environment. And as an added benefit, you know, as you pay down those credit cards, it improves your utilization which means that you, your credit score climbs, which means that if you do go out and get a loan, say for a car at some point or refinance your home, maybe you get a little bit better of a rate and save some money in the long run that way too. Yep, it's a win-win. And interestingly, I found a NerdWallet report that states that a 0.25 percentage point increase 
in the federal funds rate, which is exactly what was voted on by the Fed at its December meeting, will increase the average annual credit card interest payment for households that have this type of debt from that 1292 that I mentioned earlier to $1,309, which, if you're doing the math, that's only a $17 difference. But as you mentioned earlier, Todd, that rate is expected to keep climbing. So that 17 could add up to 34 and even more than that as time goes on and as interest rates go up. So I think your resolution is awesome. And I think the earlier you act on it, the better. I agree. (laughs) Well, good luck with it. And I hope that everyone has been enjoying our resolutions week. If anyone wants to share their resolution with the team, we would love to hear it. Or if you want to bat around some ideas for how to approach your resolution, you can always email us. Our email address is industryfocus at fool.com. And if you think you can keep your comments to 160 characters or less, or 140, I don't know, this isn't the tech show, you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!